Hello and welcome to the 21st episode of the Unsigned Manager podcast. My name is Sijikola Wale and each week I take a look at football's biggest stories, headlines, events, games, competitions from both the past and the present to really analyse and take a look at what's going on. Now, best time of the year, Premier League season is around and if it was a 100 metre race, the first 10 metres of the season is complete. So let's take a look at who was sharp out the blocks, who false started, and who even forgot there was a race. So with that, let's get into the episode. Alright, so this week I want to do the most premature award ceremony in football history. And I want to award stuff to the best, the worst, the most stupid teams in the league right now, five weeks in. So don't kill me for these. They are five weeks in, but this is just what I've been seeing so far. So, as always, you start with the best. Let's look at the best team in the league. The table pretty much shows you there's only three candidates for this. Only three teams are unbeaten, and Manchester City just haven't had that same decisiveness for me to be considered in the running. Sorry, Pep. Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester United have all been between good and great in their performances, which to be honest, I don't mind. I think that's how you should start. You need a strong start in a league this competitive, and after the Euros and the COVID season and the Champions League coming back last week, if you can squeak out a result without having to be in fifth gear all the time, you're going to have so much more left in the tank for the latter end of the season. I understand teams want to build a rhythm and get and get used to performing at a high level, but if in August and July and September I can squeak out points, and then by the time I get to Christmas, February, March, then I'll start picking up real pace, I'm going to be unstoppable. My team will be healthy. Again, this is only a five-game roundup, so I won't be analysing like a madman. There's not going to be all tactical breakdown and all that stuff. It's more just key points, what I'm seeing, why these teams are so effective. So, best team in the league, I don't really think it's close. Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea have been absolutely amazing. After some of their performances this season, an old quote from Tuchel was resurfaced about him saying he wants to build a Chelsea team that nobody will want to play against. And it's September, and that's come true. (laughs) They are indestructible. A Mohamed Salah penalty is the only goal they conceded all season, and that was away at Anfield with 10 men for 45 minutes. Five games, four wins, one draw. Chelsea look like the business. It feels like the entire team is strong, but the main points, the stuff that's really stuck out to me are A, how aggressive the defence is. They didn't end up signing Jules Koundé, which, oh my days, is amazing for the league because imagine if they had him next to Rudiger right now would be terrifying. But right now, Chelsea play... Mostly a three at the back or five at the back, depending on how you see it. Basically, three centre-backs and two wing-backs, two central midfield players. That's normally what they go for. Some days, they may switch it and play three in midfield. The three centre-backs have the licence to come out and press aggressively if they want to. Give Antonio Rudiger the chance to get at someone, and I think we know he's going to take it. But when they defend, the full-backs get in tighter, so it's like a snapping, aggressive back five, which can rush out at you, but is also comfortable knowing they got enough pace and physicality and, and strength to stop anyone running through on them. So you can't really get past that back five. Quick point on Rudiger, by the way. I just find it baffling how much a change in manager can really improve your outlook on a player. 
Like, he's someone I viewed like David Luiz or Davison Sanchez. Like a, a madman defender who can be great, but also can detonate and absolutely ruin your result. Which is not why I never viewed him highly because I value consistency over everything. But now he's he's taking that athleticism he has and combined that with exceptional technique, which I didn't know he had. Now he's the chief ball player in the defence, which includes Christensen and Thiago Silva. He's the one carrying the ball out of the back line. When I was watching Tottenham Chelsea on Sunday, I caught myself genuinely thinking to myself, how many centre-backs in the league right now would you take over Antonio Rudiger? I mean, yeah, dead serious. How many would you take over him? I'd be highly surprised if I could, if I, I wouldn't take two over him. Guarantees are Ruben Diaz, player of the year, phenomenal player, I'd take him. And big Virgil Vin Diesel, of course I'd take him. But other than that, there's no guarantees over Rudiger. I don't know if I'd, I don't know if I guarantee having Varane over him. I might go with Rudiger. Um, maybe that's recency bias, but anyway, Rudiger has transformed himself into a top, top level centre back. Obviously, he was great last year in the Champions League run, but this guy just seems to have a psychological effect over every striker he plays against. Like they know they are in for a long game when he turns up behind them. And to be honest, Chelsea having that effect as an entire club. If you're a defender in the Prem, I can't imagine a worse team to want to play against. If you're if you're a defender in the Premier League today, you need to worry about three things the most. When you play Manchester United, if anyone shoots from distance, you need to forget about the shot and look for Cristiano Ronaldo. Because if you're tenth of a second late, you're finished. He's going to bang the rebound, run around and scream in the corner. If you're playing against Liverpool, you need to send all your attention to their right wing because Mohamed Salah is playing like he's angry. People aren't talking about him enough and he's going to take out on the rest of the prep. <laughs> but arguably the scariest guy, the number one madman you don't want to play against is Chelsea's number nine because Lukaku is on a different one. And I know I can't get any credit for saying that he was going to be great because everyone knew he was going to be great and he's just batters. Two seasons in the Serie A and he was great at the Euros, but I feel like taking some credit and saying that Romelu Lukaku is the best nine in the league. Forget Harry Kane, forget Jamie Vardy, forget everyone else, Lukaku is the best nine. If you saw him play at Inter and you were focused in the Euros, you knew that people talking about him having a bad touch or playing in Timberlands, you knew they weren't really paying attention to the game and that they were living in the past. And that the, this guy right now, is the prototype for a Premier League striker. You don't have to worry about his physicality. And physicality doesn't even just mean strength. Even though we've seen him treat Pablo Mari like one of those inflatable things you see out of car showrooms. But his pace, his acceleration, his agility. Lukaku is an agile big man. Obviously, he's not Eden Hazard. <laughs> he's not dancing around people, but... You can't stay in front of him. You can't just try and stand in front of him and, and tackle him because he will twist and turn his way past you. He's finishing top draw. He can create chances for other players. Obviously, his vision and his passing and his his game his game decisions have got so much better since he was at Inter. And right now, he's the best nine in the league. All he wants to do is so cliche. I apologise. I want to make a cliche counter. And every time I say one of them, think about if I'm actually saying anything or if I'm just becoming Martin Lawrenson. Shout out to Martin Lawrenson. But you don't really say much. But Lukaku just wants to score goals. 
The Tottenham game is the best example. This is what I'm talking about. I don't mean in the stupid, oh, every striker just wants to score goals. He just wants to score. We all know that Timo Werner is a good football player. I hope you know. Timo Werner is a good football player. He's just having a tough time. And he's so rash in front of goal right now that I'd be surprised if he scored a one-on-one. It's kind of awkward to watch. But anyway, there's a point in the second half uh, maybe 65 minutes in at some point, maybe 65. Werner's on for Havertz and Chelsea are running a counter. Lukaku's running it. I think it's a it's a 2v2 counter. Lukaku and Werner versus Dyer and another Tottenham defender. And Lukaku just runs straight past Eric Dyer. There's not, <laughs> Eric Dyer does not have a hope in hell of stopping Romelu Lukaku. And he could have gone solo. Lukaku could have gone solo. He could have beaten the second defender. Maybe hit it with his right, but instead he squared it to Werner, who was one-on-one. He took a horrible touch and he toe-punted it. And I was watching to see what would happen, and the second Werner toe-punted it, Lukaku's body language just shut down. He was like, I cannot believe I passed that. Why did I pass this guy? He's not going to score. So the next 20 or 25 minutes of the game, Lukaku's doing everything he can to score. He wants to like make it up to himself. He needs a goal. You know when old school Man United players are talking about how if United won 5-0 but Van Nistelrooy didn't score, that he'd be sulking and furious in the changer. Lukaku's got that. I love that. I absolutely love that in my striker. I want a striker who all he wants to do is get goals. And if he doesn't get one, he's furious. When Chelsea were going down the wing and delivering it and the ball wasn't coming to Lukaku, he's mad. There was a point where Kovacic should have squared it, but he tried to score at the near post and Lukaku's lost the plot. Because he knows to himself that he could get 25, 30, 35 goals this season and he's going to try and take every opportunity to do that. Timo Werner is not getting the ball from him again. Not that Lukaku's selfish and doesn't want to pass, but he knows that he can score. I would give anything for Aubameyang or Lacazette to have that. They don't have it. Chelsea walked to a 3-0 lead in the second half. But Lukaku's still still trying everything. He's decisive. He can hurt teams in so many different ways. Back to goal, 1v1 dribbling, driving into space, in the air, early days. But I was right. <laughs> Unless he breaks his leg, he's a player of the year contender without any conversation. Is him versus Salah versus Ronaldo for the Golden Boot? I have no idea who will win that. Probably. If I had to guess, I'd go... I don't know. I'd go Salah or Lukaku, but I don't know. But anyway, shout out to Chelsea. Going forward, they are phenomenal. Defending, they're phenomenal. The only weakness I've seen in their game so far, and also, yes, I haven't seen every single game. I can't watch every minute of every team. I'm not a madman. The only weakness I've seen through most of Chelsea's games is the rashness and positioning of Reese James. Now, going forward, Reese James has been really effective and creative, like against Arsenal, where he absolutely battered us for an entire half. But positionally, I do wonder sometimes what he's thinking or where he's going. He's like a a roving right wing back with more license to get forward. Do you remember a couple of years ago where when it's always Arsenal games, my bad. Arsenal played Manchester City at the Emirates and nobody knew where João Cancelo was playing. 
Manchester City were playing a four-back, but it was really a three-back. And João Cancelo at some point would be the highest player on the pitch. And no one knew where he was going. That That's what it seems like Reese James is going for. The difference is that Cancelo wasn't really relied upon to defend as much in that system. Whenever Reese James, whenever the, the ball spins, spills down Chelsea's right-hand side, you notice that James is doing something wrong. Against Arsenal, he should have given away a penalty. Stonewall. He did give one away against Liverpool and red card. And maybe it's just something to keep your eye on. Interesting that Aspilicueta started against Tottenham, not him. Just because he's more, he's more conservative going forward. But if you're playing against Hongman Son or ended up being Harry Kane out on the left, you want to make sure there's no gaps back there. Just keep your eye on Reese James. But all in all, Chelsea have a tank up front, scary defence, ultra-balanced midfield. Probably going to go under the radar this season in midfield, but Kovacic, amazing player. Jorginho, I, I'm taking a victory lap on Jorginho as well. I've been telling everyone for years, this guy's a baller. When people were saying Jorginho's rubbish and Chelsea should sell him and Sarri was done for buying him, I was sticking by this guy because once you have someone who's so comfortable on the ball like that, you can open up the entire pitch. Now look at him. N'Golo Conte is N'Golo Conte. There's no need to have a conversation. Their manager is tactically innovative, competitive. He thinks that his team can win a quadruple. I wouldn't be surprised. Chelsea win the inaugural five-game round-up team of the season. All right, so for the worst team of game week five, I must confess, I really struggle to watch bad teams. I know, I know. If you're a real football fan, you should watch every team and be invested in every level of the game. So I might just... <laughs> the bad teams in the Premier League just make me want to turn off my TV. So I'm not sure if I can really judge this, because I've probably seen the, the rubbish teams in the league play about two combined games, maybe 20 minutes each for a couple of them in a couple of different games, and a bunch of match of the day highlights. So if you support one of these teams, I apologise in advance. I'm just about to laugh at them without that much information. <laughs> I'd be annoyed if I was you too. I watched Norwich play against Wolves for a stretch and they are an absolute sieve. Defensively, I cannot imagine that they came up and were worse than they were two years ago. But at least then it was marginally enjoyable. Now, this is just horrendous. I don't want to watch this team. They're a proper turnstile. The fact that Grant Hanley is letting people letting people dominate him at the near post like that is a joke. And there's a chance of watching them and seeing seven goals in a game and them not scoring any. So unless they're playing as a big team, I don't think I'll be tuning into any more Norwich games for a while. I apologise. Shout out to Daniel Farker. You've done a good job. But your team is a defensive turnstile. And I can't watch that. I saw Burnley play against Leeds and someone else, Everton. I saw them against Leeds, I saw them against Everton. In both games I saw them, Burnley were competitive and really physical, like scarily physical. All the commentators talked about was how physical they were. But they haven't been able to close out games, which is just like, it's like watching low-level Arsenal. It's, not, it's like watching Arsenal. They're playing against Leeds and... Chris Wood scores and puts them ahead with a slightly scrappy goal, but you'll take it. But then, 86th minute, big Patty B, Patrick Bamford scores, and Burnley turned three points into one point. They had Everton on the ropes. Everton were terrible for 50 minutes to about an hour, but then Rafa makes some tactical changes. 
and respect to him because I thought Decore was having an awful game. I th- Some of Decore's passing in the stretch that I watched was terrible. But then Rafa decided to push him forward and he turned into Yaya Torre, so I can't judge. And then Burnley just apple crumbled. The first goal, defensive laps. Keane should never be uncovered in the box. Andros Townsend scores a screamer. And Andros Townsend is now one of those players you do have to defend outside the box like he's Kevin De Bruyne, even though he's clearly not Kevin De Bruyne. He scores three screamers a season and the rest of them is a bit dicey, but you can't melt like that in six minutes. Then Damari Gray gets one. Everton turned the game from 1-0 to 3-1 in six minutes. Game done. Shout out to Sean Dyche getting a new deal. Much respect to that man. Go get your money. But I don't know if they can survive again. I'm not sure how they survive again. But but I'm the same guy that thought Kareem Benzema was getting old. And Benzema has eight goals and seven assists in five or six games. So Burnley will probably win the league at this point. The only thing I'm ever right on is Lukaku, to be honest. And I refuse to watch any team Steve Bruce is managing. So, sorry, Newcastle, I will not be watching you. I might catch some highlights on Match of the Day because of St. Maximan, but I cannot watch Steve Bruce football. All of you are the worst team of game week five. Now, the actual worst thing I've seen. In the first five games, there have been some rough moments. <laughs> some embarrassing, like enter Pablo Mari, guy got strength for tea towel. Do you remember when I said he he's the guy that's going to be playing next to Ben White? Yeah, imagine that. Something's just ridiculous, like Granite Shackers tackling against Manchester City. Why you make that tackle, I cannot imagine. But the worst thing, the thing that's been really great on me is VAR. I am not a VAR hater. I actually really enjoy it. Mm, I don't mean that. What I mean is, I like the idea of VAR in the game. I think maybe because you see issues go wrong in big games, with big teams playing in it. It becomes more of a a talking point and becomes more on your mind. But it does just feel like people at Stockley Park are falling asleep at the wheel. Or everyone's going out for a sig break and not watching the game. I like Kurt Zuma as a defender. And he's another one in that David Luiz category. He he has that calamity energy when I see him. I think I don't like my centre-backs to be too energetic. It just stresses me out. If you're buzzing around in defence too much... I just think you're going to do something stupid and cost me the game. But And a good example of that is five minutes into that West Ham-Man United game. Sorry, I'm talking about the West Ham-Man United game, by the way. Zuma is doing acrobatic clearances <laughs> five minutes in, in his box. And I just knew he'd put too much sugar in his tea that day. And he was going to do something dumb. It's only because VAR is worse than Zuma that West Ham almost got away with it because United should have had a clear stonewall, stonewall penalty. It is, it's unimaginable how they didn't get that. What I don't understand is, and like I said, I'm not a VAR hater. I like the idea. And last season when everyone was moaning, I kept my mouth quiet because it can be difficult to implement a new system and there will be teething problems. But we just came out of a Euros where the standard of refereeing was top level. Everyone constantly saying how good the referees were. And now we're seeing Reese James get away with a clear one against Arsenal. Zuma against United and referees just being able to shrug off and say, no, oh, it's not my fault because if those people, if the VAR people didn't complain about it, then it must have been fine. It doesn't feel right. Something about VAR still isn't working. 
And if Noble had buried that penalty, imagine how frustrated you'd be as a United fan. It'd be funny because you're a United fan. But that would have been a, a proper robbery. VAR, worst thing I've seen so far, needs to fix itself up. And then just a few random things um, that I'm keeping my eye on that I think you guys should keep an eye on too. Disclaimer, before I get screamed at by an army of Manchester City fans, Pep Guardiola is probably the best manager of all time. He's right up there with the greats. Jock Steen, Alex Ferguson, Bill Shankly, all that stuff. Pep could probably coach a game against me with his eyes closed and win and he knows more about football than everyone and whatever, whatever. Without a striker, they don't look scary. Like I said five weeks ago, like I'm saying now, you have a team full of people who look like they want to create a chance on the edge of their box for someone to score. I would be surprised if a Manchester City player this season got over 10 goals in the league. And I don't think with Mohamed Salah, Cristiano Ronaldo, Romelu Lukaku, if Harry Kane ever gets it together, that is a different story for a different day, but that guy right there, I don't think you can win the league this year with that. I think if Chelsea had had Lukaku last year, you wouldn't have been able to win the league with that. If Tuchel came in in January with Lukaku, Chelsea would have won the league. I think Pep is going to regret not getting... Well, I can't blame him. It, it seems like he wanted one. But I think that club is going to regret not being able to sign a nine. Daniel Levy wasn't going to pay the money, that's fine. Lautaro Martinez, Cristiano Ronaldo, Romelu Lukaku, Erling Haaland, someone, and Andre Silva, someone would have been the next, should have been the next option. I wouldn't have been, if I was Manchester City, I wouldn't have been mad to say Arsenal how much money for Aubameyang or keep him for a season and flip him. Just something right now to tide us over. Right now, you're just creating chances, creating chances, but if teams play like Southampton and play a 4 2 or a 4-4-2 and stop Manchester City playing out from the back, they can't... I see the game like this. What I want in football is options. I want ability to change my change my team, change my style of play without having to make the most personnel changes. Do you know what I mean? Chelsea can change their style three or four different ways with the players they have on the pitch. They can go target man. They can go in behind. They can go possession. They can go using the wide men. They can go getting the fullbacks forward because everyone on the pitch can do a number of different roles. In that Manchester City team, if you stop them passing the ball forward, there isn't anything else that can happen. When Southampton played them last week, they played four triple two. The two attacking midfield players and the two strikers absolutely squeezed Manchester City's back four and the defensive midfield player and stopped them passing out from the back. And if you're a Manchester City striker, if you're Gabby Jesus or Raheem Sterling or Ferran Torres and the ball goes long, right up into the sky, you're not going to win it. Southampton suffocated them. And today's Friday. I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow Chelsea absolutely suffocated Man City and didn't let them out. If Tuchel went super aggressive and said, you guys are not going to be able to pass the ball out of the bag, so you better go long. And when you do go long, Rudiger and Christensen and Thiago Silva are going to be there, and you're not getting past them. Without a striker, I'm not scared about Manchester City. Yes, they battered my team 5-0. But Manchester City, I think it might be a wrap. I wouldn't be surprised if they went and got an emergency striker 
um, in January to someone to tide them over because it's looking a bit dicey. Arsenal, Arsenal started the season badly, but it was overblown. We had we had unfortunate circumstances. If we hadn't played Manchester City and Chelsea in our first, well, two of our first three games of the season, no one would have been going crazy. The issue is that the Brentford game was bad. Brentford didn't dominate. It wasn't a lopsided game, but the fact that it was the first game of the season and a promoted team, and Everton Arsenal spent so much money that summer, and ummed and ahed about transfers, and then lost to a promoted team that made it bad. It made the Chelsea and Manchester City performances look worse because we would have got battered by those two anyway. But three wins in a row in the league and the cups, even though they're one nils, we're not scoring that much, but we can let it go for right now. Um, Arteta's going to have a hard season. I can't, I'm still not really sold on this team. I'm definitely not sold on the summer. Arteta's got a, a tough... The next three months have to be great. Um, player of the first five games, it's not really a competition. Again, between Ronaldo, three goals in five games. Everyone's loving him. He's playing as a nine. He's making Mason Greenwood's life really hard. <laughs> he's making Paul Pogba's life kind of hard, only because of the positions he takes up. But he's a deadly finisher. The guy looks like he's fine. He doesn't look like he has any problems readjusting back to the league, playing as a nine. He's been good. Mohamed Salah, who's fast becoming my second favourite player in the league, probably is my second favourite player in the league, um, been dominant, but I can't really give it to anyone else but Lukaku. Just goals, size, strength, playmaking, all that stuff. Lukaku, best player of the five games, but Salah's not far behind and Ronaldo's got the nostalgia. Paul Pogba, by the way, seven assists. By the way, just I'm not hating on Pogba. It's just funny that I was thinking about this before. Just like goals, all assists are not created equal. When you're... There's one of the goals... The game Bruno scored his hat-trick. One of the passes that Pogba played, I think for the last goal, he just slipped him through, which is difficult and hard, and he has to balance up a bunch of things. But because some of the assists he gets are crazy... When you see Pogba's got seven assists, you think they're all seven wildy assists. Not all assists are created equal. Same way that when you see Ronaldo scored three times, you're not going to notice about how bad the Newcastle goalkeeping was. Not all not all assists are created equal. Not all goals are created equal. But Paul Pogba has been great. This is the this is the version we want to see in the league. Manchester United's defensive midfield is a is another story for another day. But Pogba's up there. He's been good as well. But I give it to Lukaku. And then the key things I'm looking for in the next five games. Crystal Palace, loving it under Vieira. Took them a while to score goals. They were good against Chelsea. Even though they lost, and they lost comprehensively, I thought they were very good against Chelsea, and I think they're starting to find their feet. If you remember when I did an episode about um episode in the summer, about teams that really needed to have a big transfer window. Crystal Palace was one of them because their squad, their average squad age was like 31. They had, they were releasing 18 players. They didn't really have that that big of a squad and everyone was old. Now, Mark Guayhi, Joachim Anderson, Michael Olise, Eberiche Eze is coming back, Zaha, um, Jean-Philippe Mateta, Edson, Edson, Edson Edward, 
they really dragged down the age of that squad. Can't forget Tariq Mitchell. Really dragged down the age of that squad. Brought in a new manager. Unknown. No one knows what he's going to do. But it feels like Vieira can bring that good feeling back to the club. I read a story today about how the Crystal Palace players are were really stunned about how much of a winner Vieira's mentality was. And that he was constantly talking about how they were going to win games. Constantly talking about it. And they felt comfortable thinking to themselves, we can compete now. I want to see if they can get that to last over the next 10 to 15 games. If if Vieira can drag them to 15th, if they can get to that 12, 13, 14, 15 spot comfortably, no fear of relegation in his first season, I'd be very, very excited about the next couple of years. I want to see if Jesse Lingard becomes Ole Gunnar Solskjaer 2.0. I think he's too good to just be a bench guy every week. I think Tottenham would bite off someone's left arm right now to swap Dele Alli's production for Jesse Lingard's production. And if you had said that three years ago, everyone would say, they'd be saying you're on an absolute mad one. But Jesse Lingard, plug and, plug and play right in that Tottenham system right now, I like it. But I do want to see if he becomes Solskjaer 2.0, a bench man, the man who makes his living eating off the 60th minute. I wish he had gone back to West Ham or at Everton or Crystal Palace. Somewhere where I can see him playing 90 minutes every week in a high-energy, high-pressing team where he can go and buzz around and make chances and pick up smart areas of the pitch in that... Oh, that's overdoing it. I was about to overdo it times 10, don't worry. But in that picking up half spaces kind of player role, I I think he would have been good at that. In In a team level down so he could play every week. It's annoying that Bruno obviously is so clear of him that he's not going to play every week and he's just going to have to eat off scraps and play in competitions. But I want to see if Solskjaer uses him as the catalyst. And then I wonder what really happens with Donny, Donny van der Beek in January. Because United just got knocked out of the Carling Cup. The FA Cup's a possibility. Champions League, We if, if everyone's being honest, you're not going to win that. And I'm not sure how... If you play someone competent, I'm not sure how far you go. I wonder if Van der Beek has no game time by January and bounces. Um, quickly on Harry Kane, absolute dumpster fire in five games. I don't know why Tottenham would want a situation like this in their dressing room. If a player is so strongly wanting to go that he's playing golf with Gary Neville in the summertime, I would just let it go. I wouldn't do that to your changing room. I especially wouldn't do that to your changing room with a new manager and the first thing he has to deal with, yes, is his best player, but an important, influential player making a stink and having publicly said he wanted to go on multiple occasions. Awkward. Then he hasn't kicked on. He's having games where he's not taking a shot. He's not touching the ball in the box. Of course, he'll find his mojo is Harry Kane. You wouldn't be surprised if he finished with 18 and 17. But I think all parties won't be happy with what happened at the end of the season. I think Manchester City won't be happy they didn't sign him. I think he won't be happy he didn't go. And I think Tottenham won't be happy that they kept him. Thank you guys. That's the award ceremony. In case you need to remember, Chelsea team of the year. Well, team of the five games. Norwich, Newcastle, Burnley, all of you please get in the bin. VAR needs to fix itself up. Romelu Lukaku is the best player in the league. 
Manchester City should have got a striker. I was right about Jorginho. Pablo Mari and Ben White cannot play with each other. And Jesse Lingard might become Ole Gunnar Solskjaer 2.0. That's the end of this week's episode. Really appreciate that. All the support, all the mentions, all the comments, all the corny stuff, all that. Really appreciate it. Please share, tell your friend, tell your mum, tell your mum to tell her friend at the shop. (laughs) All that stuff. And I'll see you guys next week. Peace.